This is Driven By, a podcast where we explore the intersection between passion and purpose. Sitting down and having conversations with risk takers, change makers, builders, and entrepreneurs to find out what it is that drives them. Hi, this is Frank Coons, owner of Settle Down Easy Brewing, and I'm super excited to be part of the show today. Yeah, I'm so excited for you to be here. I feel like we've been um, social friends, IG friends for a yeah. while. Um, you've been really supportive of me in a lot of different ways, and it's just always really good to see um, how folks are sort of bringing themselves to their work. And you and I have had a couple conversations one off with like you supporting a philanthropy effort that I had had earlier on in the year. And I'm just really excited to have somebody like you on the show. We haven't had anybody that has a couple breweries <laughs> under their belt. Um, and so I guess it might be best for us to kind of figure out how you got here, how you got to a point where you're now a business owner with not just one, but two breweries in the Northern Virginia area. Um, and ultimately kind of what drove you to this space? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think from an early age, I had a passion for service um, and, and torn between, am I going to enlist in the military or really struggling with my journey uh, in life? And I remember I visited Penn State University as a senior in Western Pennsylvania and was overwhelmed by the size of the campus and not sure of my path, I decided to go to a branch campus, uh, Dubois Penn State, and really struggled after semester one. And my parents said, if you're not happy with college, you're going to have to find a job. So I started working in this little family-owned restaurant. And I loved it. I loved going to work. I loved meeting people. I loved having people come in a blue-collar town that you know money was tight, people had stress, shift work layoffs and I could be someone who brightened their day. Yeah. And, um, You're good. And uh I, I think it was having an Italian grandmother who uh taught me the culinary world in a kitchen um until going to work at that restaurant and then my parents telling me that Indiana University of Pennsylvania has a undergraduate in hotel restaurant institutional management. Mm-hmm. That's where I took my journey um in studying hospitality and then out of college working for Hyatt Hotels and Resorts. Yeah. And once in DC, I was taught about the the animal that is mega hospitality, uh, working as a corporate trainee with Hyatt. But in that time, my wife Misty and I would always take turns cooking and, you know, not having a lot of money right out of college and going into the supermarket and finding these really affordable cuts of meat and dishes. And YouTube was emerging and using that as a platform to try to cook and, and do things, which ultimately led to me my, my passion to where I am now, and that is brewing. Uh, I started in Old Town Alexandria on a little one-bedroom apartment, and Misty was cool enough to say, you want to make beer, go go do it. And that was back in you know 2001. And uh, uh, that the passion just, just happened from there. So – Take me back a little bit um, with regards to where you grew up. Did you grow up in Pennsylvania then or did you grow up? Okay. Yeah. Grew grew up in Western Pennsylvania. Mom, dad, um, typical family, had a younger brother named Brian and uh, an Italian grandmother. And, (laughs) you know, we were brought up to be so rich in the sense of family Yeah. and birthday parties and communion parties and, you know, uh, anniversaries. And it just... 
60, 70 people were coming to aunts and uncles parties and was such this big life fulfillment of family and sense mm -hmm. of belonging and always made to feel special. And we made other people feel special. Um, you know, that I think some of that upbringing, my parents, you know, I'm a Gen Xer and my parents were both full-time working professionals. Yeah. And, you know, if I wasn't at home, I was at my grandma's house. And, you know, I just remember her teaching us to make ravioli at like eight years old. And it was a way to have team bonding with my grandma, making pizza, making lasagna, making pasta from scratch. Yeah. Um, it's just what we did. That's uh, like, that's one of the things that I think so many people can attach to about Italian culture is like that it is so family oriented. It is like big, loud, like food centric, which who doesn't love? Um, and definitely can help like create some very deep roots, especially if you think about the space of hospitality where it's like, that is the whole job of hospitality, right? Is to make sure that you're giving somebody a unique experience or you're giving somebody an opportunity to feel like they're at home, but in an outside space. The fact of the matter is, is that you went and then ended up working for a monstrosity. I mean, Hyatt Hotels is a massive company with so many different levels and hierarchies, et cetera. I would imagine that experience was both eye-opening and somewhat, um, what's the right word? It probably gave you both positive and negative experiences in terms of how you thought about the world of hospitality that you had kind of idolized and been introduced to and then worked in. Yeah. You know, it's like working in a small family restaurant, you know, you're serving 20 dinner covers, you know, it's, it's very casual. Then going to the Grand Hyatt in DC and doing a 700 in 700 out where yes. there's a convention departing on a Sunday and a, and a convention arriving Sunday night or Monday. And it is a you know, doing banquet for 2,800 people uh, in the kitchen with the chef and they're yelling, how many plates do we have in the Queen Mary and right. this big warming box? And you're like, uh, 1,850. Are you sure? And it's like, oh my I gosh, this is, this, is, this is stressful. And I, I just remember being, you know, uh, my very good friend, Stefan, who's the general manager of the Hotel Washington in DC. He and I were, we cut our teeth together in the industry. And, you know, here we were 22, 23 years old. And we ran the, the hotel overnight, like a 22 year old, 23 year old running manager on duty of an 888 room convention hotel, right. uh, fire emergencies, life, death, um, you know, all these things that, you know, kind of trained me. Um, and it's funny, I, I just envisioned my, my life in hospitality and I moved into sales with hospitality and went out to Arizona. I know our, our paths have similar crossing because you're from that area. Yeah. And uh, I opened the Sheraton Phoenix, a thousand room convention hotel. And I know I it. it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was that moment when I left Hyatt to join Starwood was when I, that was like this moment in my life where I was eight or nine years with a hospitality background and, and working experience for about five to six years. But Starwood had these brands mm -hmm. and they were lifestyle brands. And, and that that investment in working for Starwood and when I went to get my MBA in Arizona, it, it was better than any textbook education working for Starwood because they had Sheraton, they had W, they had Weston, they had St. Regis, yeah. they had luxury collection. And that's really, I, I learned about branding and yeah. where, where I, I personally feel it was in 2008 is, is like when it all opened up and I understood life. I understood like what Coca-Cola did, what Nike did, what Starbucks did. Um, and, and that really pushed me at, at, at a point to say, I'm, I'm so enamored by building brands and, and how a company can teach its guests to have a cult like following. Yeah. Um, and I, and 
I, I currently teach at George Mason University, Intro to Craft Beverage, and uh, it's it's one of the one of the things I teach the students. You know, if you go about in your life, and regardless of what you do, uh, you want to find a way to drive people to have a cult like following to your brand. And, and I'll Absolutely. speak about that in a little deeper. Um, some some comments on that. No, I think it's like a pretty incredible thing. I mean, your story is. I, I, I've. I've worked in hospitality from a bar and restaurant perspective for, you know, I did for a long time, like all through college. And then for a few years after, cause I just loved it so much. But one of the things I loved is that where I worked, we were surrounded by other people that were in hospitality. So if you're familiar with Starwood properties in Arizona, we were right by the Westin, um, Carolyn, and like all those folks would come in all the time. And it's like, you kind of get to sit around and like talk about your experiences, like being in hospitality, what it's like to like work with all these different guests in Arizona, as you know, is like a very transient place. People are coming in and out for golfing outings, yep. conventions, everything. And so it is kind of fun to like sit back and like hear you talk. I'm like thinking about my glory days of like <laughs> serving, you know, large groups, like massive pints of like, you know, beer and whatever the case may be. And, you know, swinging wings out to like tables and so forth. So it's a whole thing. But I mean, what I heard you say though, is that you kind of started your brewing experience in 2001 and then you're still working in hospitality. You're still working in these hotels all the way through. When do you decide to kind of call it quits there and move into this place where you decide I'm gonna do this for real? Yeah. So Misty and I have been living in Arizona for eight years. Our son was going into first grade. Our daughter was preschool, getting ready to go into kindergarten. I had family becoming ill in Western Pennsylvania, and it was really hard for us to look at, do we raise our family in Arizona? And and you know what it's like flying to the East Coast. It's not a four-hour. It's an all-day adventure. (laughs) Yeah. And when we'd get home, it would be like just so gassed. And and Misty and I were like, you know what? We lived in Northern Virginia before. It's a four-hour drive back home. Let's move back to Northern Virginia. So I came back with Starwood, was at the Sheraton premiere in Tyson's, all the while, you know, still homebrewing and crafting recipes and, and focusing on that as just, just a passion. And I loved going to neighbors' houses and bringing a growler or inviting them to come to my home. And in the formal living room was a kegerator I built with Misty and we're serving craft beer. Um, it kind of evolves to 2015. Um, and I, 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 ha- I mentioned being a rich with a family and I had a younger brother, Brian, and he was kind of struggling in life. Mm -hmm. Uh, He didn't have a calling and um, he was in his mid thirties. And um, one Thanksgiving I called Misty and I said, Hey, I'm going to invite Brian and his girlfriend to come down to DC. Let's go to Tedeschi trucks at the Warner theater. It's an awesome jam band. Derek was the guitarist for the almond brothers. Brian, I love the almond brothers. And uh, we took Brian to the show and 30 days after the show in 2015, my parents called and said, Brian's been life flighted to Pittsburgh. And uh, I, I left immediately to get back home. And I saw my brother for two days. And, and sadly, we lost Brian two days short of his 36th birthday. Um, and the stories, like, this is where it's like heart wrenching. Uh, it's very emotional because um, Brian was a bartender at the Veterans of Foreign War in Brockway, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And his last call song every night was Ramble on Rose by the Grateful Dead. And there's mm-hmm. a lyric in there where it's Ramble on Baby, Settle Down Easy. Yep. And a year following my brother's death, a mutual friend of ours wrote this poem about my brother on Facebook. And it started with the words, Settle Down Easy. Mm-hmm. And when I went to him and I asked him where that came from, he told me the story I just told you of Brian was at this 
really tough and hard veterans of foreign war club, but Brian being the gregarious person, um, he could make the most solemn person bust out in laughter. And if Brian had this ability to draw happiness out of people and people went to a VFW in rural Pennsylvania just to be around him. And I, I, I said, one day I'm going to open a brewery. One day I'm going to call it settle down easy. And one day we will have a feeling that when you come to this brewery, you will leave feeling better than when you came in. And that would be paying homage to my brother and his spirit. I love that so much. I love that so much. And I want to like double back on this because it's obviously such an important part of your story and ultimately probably why you find purpose in coming to work every day and ultimately how you're able to not just make, it's not just one brewery, it's multiple breweries. And I'm sure there's a big, you know, bigger picture and vision for you. Um, also, you know, that I, I've also lost my brother and Mm-hmm. I know how that feels and trying to find something that like resonates or a way to honor that person that you've lost. I mean, it's hard. It's yeah. really, really hard, especially a sibling. I think like that's always super, super hard. So of course I'm getting emotional. I cry on my podcast. I'm gonna start all crying the time. In a minute anyway, so. Amazing. <laughs> um, before we start to dive into you fulfilling your calling and, and your promise to your brother, um, when you look back to when you were a kid, like, all the way back. What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think when I was a little kid, I was like, I want to be a leather person. I was at a fair and I saw this guy working with leather, <laughs> making like leather, <laughs> leather bracelets. Yeah. And, and I think my mother has something when I was a kid, like before kindergarten, it was like, what did you want to be? And I said, I want to work with leather. <laughs> I love that. I love um, that. But, but I knew, I just knew early on, like I loved family. You know, I, I yeah. loved, I loved being with people. I loved, like I said, service. And I thought even the military was like the calling for me. Um, and uh, it, it was, I, I found hospitality. So I, I think from, you know, the little kid who had aspirations of uncertainty of where to go, I really trace back to, I, I just vividly remember in rural Valley, Pennsylvania, in the kitchen with my grandmother, in the avocado uh, refrigerator colored and, you know, the off white or off yellow stove, just yeah. sitting there on a stool, pressing pizza dough. And like, I love it. just loved being in that environment. My grandmother was such a special woman. That's so amazing. And it's, it's also just, it, it's clear that family is just super, super important to you. Sure. So obviously your wife is, is a saint as well. <laughs> She's allowed you to <laughs> brew probably you know, beer in your home. I can't imagine the kind of equipment that you've had to invest in over time that has evolved and changed now where you have your own facilities and your own brewing equipment outside of the home, hopefully now. Yeah. Um, But it sounds like you guys have been together for a really long time too. And she's probably seen you through a number of seasons in your life. I guess what is the, I don't usually ask these questions, but I feel like we're in a good place here. You know, with regards to how you've been supported along the way and getting to where you finally get to open up a brewery in honor of your brother, what does that support look like for you and and how important was it? That's a really good question. Um, And, you know, having that person, having a sounding board, um, I I found myself taking that role to so many other people because I'm so lucky to have her in my life, Misty. Um, You know, Misty in, I think it was 93, we were in high school. I was a junior. She was a sophomore. And uh, it's the end of school. And, you know, no one does anything. The teachers don't teach. It's like, let's go yeah. watch movies. And um, I was sitting 
in a debt uh, at, at a seat and her and her best friend Ann came in. I'm like, would you guys like, when do you want to sit in my uh, chair? And they were both on the floor and we just met. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's love at first sight or, or what it is, but there's just this really calming connection Misty has. Misty doesn't get rattled. Misty is the most stoic, just even kill, but she has the most beautiful smile I, I would ever see in a human. Um, and uh, she, she's been my like sounding board. You know, we've been together since high school. So like, 22 years um, this past June. And, That's amazing. You know, yeah. And, you know, there's good times. There's bad times. There's arguments. Sure. You know, I know this is about entrepreneurial, but a little bit of uh, relationship advice. If you want to find that the person is meant for you, you go ahead and find a one-bedroom apartment in Alexandria because <laughs> you want to get into a fight. There's no slamming doors. There's no, I'm going to sit on this end of the couch. You sit your tail on that end of the couch and we're going to yeah. work through it. And, uh, you know, Misty and I have like just done so much stuff together. And uh, one of the things we, we, we practiced in our, in our relationship is when you're having a fight, hold hands. Yeah. Because you can't yell at somebody if you're holding their hand. And I, I remember this when um, I was walking down the aisle. Um, gosh, this interview's getting me all choked up. <laughs> How dare you? I've got a bunch of these and you, you're rocking my world right now with some of your questions. Um, my mom, I go, Mom, give me the secret to a happy marriage. Her and my dad will be married 50 years next year, uh, in two more years. And um, she goes, It's not 50 50, it's 100%, 100%. And I just remembered that. And, and Misty and I talk about that. Like it, it isn't 50, 50, you got to go all in a hundred percent, a hundred percent each. And, and, you know, some days, uh, when I lost Brian, I was at a 10 Yeah. and I needed Misty to get me to 90. So I, I can't believe, I can't believe. Oh, well, we're both going to be blubbering on this. God, <laughs> I got a drink today. Look at you. Yeah. Oh my God. That's Misty's good though. Laugh at this interview. She's like, what yeah. are you, a, you babbling emotional but, basket case, right? <laughs> but I think this is real, like in terms of even entrepreneurial like journeys, right? I think so often we talk about the individual and the drive that it takes for an individual and the purpose that it takes for the individual. But having a strong support system is always a, a really key part, I think, of that journey that sometimes we overlook. Um, I think we acknowledge that there are probably people that are in the back end, not necessarily pulling the strings, but definitely kind of like helping you uh, see the path. And so it's it's really amazing that you're being so open and vulnerable about sharing yeah. kind of the support that she, you know, she's shown you and I'm sure vice versa, you've also yeah. been able to show her. I remember and the first batch, you know, was great. And then the second batch sucked and she was she stood beside <laughs> me. And, and I told her, I go, you know, one day I'm going to open a brewery. And she's like, hey, it's your dream. You know, you do you. Um, yeah. Whatever you're passionate towards, go go follow your passion. So yeah, she's yeah. been she's been good on, on the negative too. You know, like, Hey Frank, this isn't right. Like this doesn't yeah. feel good. It's not good. Just like decisions. And it's, it's really good to have that kind of person, like a sounding board, you know, and, and challenge you. Like you don't want somebody always behind you to be like, yeah, go do it, go do it. No, no time out. Think, let's think through this for a second. You know, and that's 100%. why I'm so good at that. Yeah. I love that. Well, so, I mean, let's talk about the fact that you're brewing beer and, and that you're doing with such an intense purpose behind it, right? Yeah. I mean, it started out as a passion for you, which I love these conversations because I, it's really about that intersection, right? Like, what is that pivoting point where you take something from a passion and make it your calling? And so you start by being very passionate just about beer, start brewing it. I mean, the 2000s, like, I feel like everyone was brewing beer, right? Finally, yeah. everyone got those at-home brewing kits. And, but you take it a step further and finding purpose in it, thanks to your brother. I'm sure that that has been like a continuation for you. I guess, tell me about that experience where you're, you know, 
testing recipes, you're kind of leaning on folks to tell you if something's good, bad, otherwise. And then when did we actually open up doors to yeah. the first brewery? And what was that experience like for you? So when we moved back from Arizona in 2012, um, I really amped up home brewing. Arizona yeah. gets so hot and it's really tough for temperature control. So there was only 20% of the time brewing in Arizona. But when we got back to Northern Virginia, people had basements. You know, no basements in Arizona. Not really, yeah. Really important to keep your beer cold and how it's fermenting and lagering. So I kick it off and my son is playing ankle biter football in Vienna. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I meet these two gentlemen over the course of a few years. And every Friday night at Waters Filled in Vienna, I would bring this mini keg of beer with a, a CO2 cartridge and a tap. And parents are like, do you want a Bud Light, a Miller Light? I'm like, I have my own beer I brought, I made. And so the parents are like, are you kidding? You're home brewing? And then it was, wow, this is really good. And I'm like, wow, flattered. And fast forward to 2000, um, and well, it was, Brian passed in, in 15. Mm -hmm. And in 2017, these two guys said, hey, you've been making beer. We would be really interested in opening a brewery. Would you help us? And at this time, I was working for Marriott. Mm -hmm. uh, left Starwood coming back to the East Coast and then left to, to join my original boss at the Grand Hyatt DC, Joe. Um, and he recruited me to Marriott. And I, I said, I love my job with Marriott. I'm doing very well. I feel like I've got it all figured out. Things are clicking. And um, I said, I'll help you. I'll, I'll help like play as an advisor. And they were like struggling. And, you know, again, this goes back to that concept of branding mm -hmm. and storytelling and layering stories on items and objects and things inside the bar and the brewery. And I told him, I have this story about my brother. Um, I have this passion. I have this idea of opening a brewery called Settle Down Easy. And we all were drinking beers and, you know, we talked about opening a brewery. And so what we said was, let's go our separate ways for seven days. Let's come back in seven days. Let's all write business plans. And, you know, a couple guys having beers, it's all talk, right? You know, yeah. and then we all leave, come back and everyone has written a full business plan. I love like that. 10 to 12 pages. <laughs> and we all like copy the best of it and m meld it together. And we're like, wow, we, we have something here. And then Jimmy was like, okay, I'm, I'm like serious. Like, let's put some money in. And so go back to Misty. And, you know, we talk about it. And she's like, are you sure you want to do this? And I go, I'm not leaving corporate America. Like right. I'm going to do this on the side, consult. I'm going to help them. I'm going to hire a brewer. We're going to work towards something. But as we went through the process, all these things started manifesting about storytelling and how we're going to build the brewery. Mm -hmm. um, I still didn't want to leave, but we, we were like, okay, we just, we put a hundred thousand dollars of capital into this, this LLC. Mm -hmm. And now we went to the banks and the banks are like, you guys are opening a restaurant 98% with fell within three years. We, you're not getting $300,000 in a loan. And sure. this is where three gentlemen living in Northern Virginia who have assets and, and um, have built equity. We were dumbfounded. We couldn't right. raise capital. So I told Jimmy, I'm like, hey, let's Shark Tank this. Let's pitch it to neighbors, friends. And you know, we didn't want family to be involved, but uh, we pitched it to some ideas. And I vividly remember this one moment where I'm coaching football with Jimmy. I am on the sideline running the defense. And this guy taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, hey. I'm like, I turn around I'm like, yeah, I'm coaching football. He goes, are you and the guy on the field? Like the guy's opening the brewery? Yeah. Can you come over to our house? Are you looking for investors? I'm like, uh, let me talk to you after the game. Yeah. And, you know, we ended up April 1st until April 28th of 2000, um, what was it? 2018. Um, we raised $300,000. Oh my gosh. Just by telling the story I told you. And we had, we had numbers and a performer and all those things, much more business minded and business centric. But 
we raised the, the capital and then it was on. We, we had found a building and we, we broke ground and we had a, a wonderful landlord who's, who's still wonderful to this day, you know, even surviving the pandemic. And there's some really great stories I want to share about that. But um, yeah, we opened November of 2018 and went off like a, a hockey stick trajectory. It was 18, 19 doing so well. We had hired this amazing up and coming brewer who now has owned his own, he opened his own brewery and we won a gold medal for a beer we created at the best of craft in 19. And then I remember in 20, in 2019, I took a new job within Marriott on the, on like a global sales kind of team. And I tell Jimmy and Chip, I'm like, Hey guys, I'm on, I'm on these calls with my global team in China and like Mm -hmm. there are meetings canceling left and right. And there's something really scary happening. And I remember Jimmy saying, relax, it's never going to come to the States. And I go, I'm, I'm getting scared. And it's now March. And I said to them, Hey, I think I'm going to get furloughed. Like, Mm. like this is going to crush hospitality worse than nine 11. And they were like, no, 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 it's never going to happen. And then, then it happens. Right. And then I think that's part of the journey. We'll talk if we can uh, a little yeah. bit. About the pandemic. No, we have to. I mean, it's a massive, um, it's a massive part of, I think most entrepreneurs in hospitality, like their experience, at least over the last few years. But I, I'm, I'm curious t- too, with regards to you raising capital and regards to the, the journey that I got to opening actually up your doors. I mean, how much of that do you think is tied to the narrative and the story um, as it is the product that you all were able to put together. I mean, you've been, you were brewing for a while at this point. I'm imagining you've gotten down to a place where you're starting to understand the science of it and, and really what, what's tested well, what's not tested well. Um, I, I, the story is so powerful, right? The story is how you believe in the person behind the, the growler, but yeah. In terms of the product and, and kind of getting it to that place where enough people believe in it, what was that experience like? I think it, it goes back to, to Marriott and even Starwood. When I ascended at 30 years old to a director of sales and marketing, and then as I came into Marriott being a regional director of sales and marketing, I would have to sit in front of owners of hotels monthly, and we would have to do a P&L review. And mm. did we make forecasts? Did we miss forecasts? Did we hit yeah. budget? Did we, did we not? And what action step, Frank? What action steps, Frank, are you taking to ensure positive cash flow, positive revenue and sales? What's, what are the activities? What are the activations? What are you doing? So I had like eight years of being in front of very highly educated Ivy League owners. And you can't tap dance around not knowing your numbers, not knowing yeah. how you're doing and, and building plans and action steps to find and drive success for your property. So I think when I was... Jimmy and I were pitching the business idea of Settle Down Easy. People had a lot of trust in one, my passion mm-hmm. of why we're doing this for my brother. And, and that story in every single every single dining room we presented or every single person's living room we presented in, um, they, they, they felt the, the heart. You know, they, they could see the passion behind it. And sometimes people believe in the person. Mm-hmm. On the other side, we had really uh, strong performa financials. If we sell this much beer, here's the cost. You know, we, we broke it, it down to the penny and people had a sense of confidence. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, you, you guys aren't just doing this on a paper napkin. Yeah. And when we, when I opened hotels, we would have to do these performas and we had goals and metrics to hit before a, a key ever went into a door. So we use the same vernacular to tell the story about the brewery of, Hey, this is, this is what we think. And we mm-hmm. have a, a cohort of other brewery owners that are kind of opening up their 
their numbers to kind of disclose what was the first 30, 60, 90 days like, what was the yeah. first half year and year like, so that we could talk with some level of intelligence and not just throwing a dart on a dartboard. So yeah. people are like, okay, your numbers make sense. Your passion makes sense. Your background certainly makes sense. And it sounds like you have something, you know, something really could, could go and, and do very well. That's makes total sense to me. Yeah. Um, that business part of it is such a, a massive thing. And also I think like just knowing the vision of like what you would want to kind of create for folks that are walking through the door. I mean, my personal experience with breweries, you know, you go oftentimes for the ambiance, how it makes you feel. Can you bring your dog? Like, you know, is the music good? Um, do you feel like it's, it's not, you know, too heavy of like an experience it's they're laid back spots usually. Um, and that's why they do so well with large groups, families, like all types of people. Um, so that, that makes total sense. And then again, the story behind it really, really, um, I think kind of seals the deal. So, yeah, I mean, you're in these years of success, your hockey stick growth. I mean, the numbers are all making sense to you. Uh, COVID happens, doors, shut businesses are put in really really tough positions i oftentimes ask the question on the show like what has been your greatest challenge i don't know if it's covid but i would love to hear a little bit about how you guys sort of adjust pivot address the the challenge that is having to shut your doors when you're a hospitality-based organization yeah you look at the pandemic as being something that crippled our our industry and and through the process of pivoting um there are some really beautiful stories that came out of it and some new friendships that were made um, and some great stories, um, you know, as sad as it was and the people we've lost, the loved ones. Uh, so there are people personally that I know we've lost due to the, uh, the virus uh, mm-hmm. that is the COVID virus. But so it's, it's going into March. I tell the guys like, Hey, listen, there's this thing happening and Marriott's talking about furloughing some, some staff for 30 days. And I, in my mind was in, in nine 11, the 08, 09 housing crash, yeah, the, the bubble. Never forget. Sales never was impacted because sales is your driving engine to keep people coming into the doors of the hotel. So it's usually operations that go for, corporate goes first, then operations. Never have sales been hijacked or put on a furlough. Mm-hmm. And April 2nd came, and all of us in the regional sales team were called and we're going to go on furlough. First thing in the back of my mind was one family. You know, making sure family, my staff, um, I, I have a very strong belief of take care of those that are in your charge. And I was not going to be able to lead a team, my Marriott team. Mm-hmm. My focus then was to their well-being, their their happiness, their families, the mental struggles. Um, and, and, you know, we just did Zoom meetings just to keep everyone lighthearted and open and happy and uh, having a way to pulse check. Um, then focusing on the brewery. And, you know, we had eight part-time employees at the time and I yeah. had to call each one and say, Hey, for the next 30 days, I, I, I can't give you employment. And I called Jimmy and Chip and I said, listen, if this happens, uh, you know, and I just remember early phases, right. When the, the government was like, we're going to go to a lockdown, a 14 day or 10 day lockdown. I can't remember now. And yeah, it didn't matter. It was three yeah, years. Basically. Right. <laughs> and, and I was like, I still was able to go to the grocery store and get groceries. If I wore my mask, I stayed six feet apart. And where many restaurants just shut their doors, I was one of the very, I believe, Settled on Easy was one of the very first entities that was this delivery mm-hmm. and grab and go mm. and touchless pickup from the curb. Like we, we implemented that like day one of if we can't have people come in, 
will go deliver to the people or we'll have it outside. They can touch it in a bag that's been sanitized. And I just remember Misty and I going to the bar and we had this little tiny October canner that you put one, you filled it with beer, you put it under the thing, you pull the two levers and it made one can of sealed beer. Yeah. Well, uh, in two months we sold 25,000 cans. Oh my gosh. Your go. arms. Yeah. Probably so sore. Yeah. It's <laughs> so strong. <laughs> That goes back to the, the the most amazing support person ever, Misty, because you know she yeah. was right there. She's a teacher. She's an elementary school teacher, and she was in limbo too. They didn't know what to do yeah. with kids, so she was wow. teaching virtually. And then from one to seven, we would go and just hand out beer as people. Someone would stand at the door. We'd let them in. They'd get their four pack. They'd leave through a this labyrinth of tables and chairs, so no one could pass each other, and right. they would leave. And after thirty days, I. I remember calling our landlord in, a- in April or in March and saying, hey, we're going to shut the doors. We need forbearance on rent. You know, we're not going to be able to make this. And, and the, the landlord is also somebody who owns hotels. He gets it. And they were like, hey, in April, we shut down. May 1st, send us your P&L for April. We'll look at numbers. And I remember it's April 5th. And I hadn't called the landlord on the 1st, like he asked. Mm-hmm. And they called me and they said, hey, we're really trying to help all of our tenants. Can you please send me your P&L? And I said, I can, but we were more profitable in April than we've ever been. I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. And it was no, no overhead, the beer, no brewing, just like the beer that was cellared and held. But we were selling the cans right. at $6 a can or $24 a four pack. And the community came out in, in droves. And I, I vividly remember in April, this young woman who came in and said, Hey, I want to buy a four pack. And I'm like, Oh, what kind of beer do you drink? And she's like, I don't drink alcohol. I'm just going to support a small business. And that just like a tsunami happened and happened again. And, and I want to stay humble here because my story is not like the others. And so many have dealt with traumatic loss and stress. And I want to be respectful in sheltering our success because it was sad. It was very sad. It was very scary. And, and, you know, we had staff we couldn't support. Um, But after May and things in June, when you could have 50% of your restaurant reopened, we were able to call four of our eight bartenders back and provide them income for working. And I just remember the community was so respectful and people would come in and count 40 people and be like, I feel it's overcrowded. And I'm like, we're zoned at 132. We can have 66. And yeah. we spread everything out, but people were still cautious. But those people that came in and said, I wanted to have a beer, I'm just going to get a four pack to go. Mm-hmm. So it, it just kept the momentum going. And what's really crazy about this story, it's July. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember my, my supervisor for Fairfax County, Dahlia Paltic, her and I are very close friends. I, I learned so much about how, as an entrepreneur, how to work with your county elected officials to find success. And she calls me. We were a success story in the pandemic that she was using as a help momentum and foster energy and positive. Look at Frank. You know, she would Mm -hmm. always be that person to say, small business struggles, talk to Frank, call Frank, we'll help you with a solution. And she goes, Frank, I have great news. I have another round of bailout coming and we've never taken a bailout check. And I'm like, I've never needed it. And I go, Dahlia, instead of giving us money, can you help me put park, use tents and chairs outside in, in our parking lot? And she goes, well, yeah, do it. And I said, you're going to laugh, but Fairfax County requires a special one-day use permit. It's $115 per application. And she's like, are you kidding me? And I said, what if I can work with our landlord and say, you can use parking spaces as outside seating, 
would you help me go to Fairfax County and pass legislation to allow bars, restaurants, breweries, this opportunity to seat outside? And she's like, do it. And so Janet Caboose, we wrote legislation loosely. I don't want to say I'm a politician, but we wrote this story. <laughs> she took it to the floor of Fairfax County. They voted it. So if you are in Fairfax County and you remember the pandemic and you're driving around and seeing everyone sit outside in tables and chairs under tents, um, that was like my, if I leave a legacy, it's like th- that is something I'm so proud of because how many other bars and restaurants did we help um, that w- wouldn't have thought to be able to do that, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, there's a lot that's come out of this, right? Like there are some beautiful stories, like you said. And and I also would imagine that your furlough gave you an opportunity to look at the brewery in a really different lens and kind of look at the entire industry in a different lens, especially as it relates to Fairfax County and the ways that maybe your your experience could help other people um, have a better experience. I'm curious when we think about your aha moment to know that you're like doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing um, do you feel like you've hit it yet? And is it coming out of this experience or did it come out well before that when you, you know, opened up doors for the first time in honor of your brother? What has your aha been? You know, I, I don't know if I've hit, well, there's many milestones, I guess, but, um, it, maybe I haven't hit my aha moment yet. I think there's so much more I'm still going to do in my life. And even, like jokingly, Misty and I had a call with our financial advisor and like we were going over retirement age. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, in my mid forties, like lay off it. And um, I remember Misty telling Jesse, Frank's never going to retire. Like, <laughs> he's, he's always going to have his finger on the pulse and he's always going to be doing something that motivates him to you know, foster that environment of making those I'm surrounded by feel better about themselves. Um, so, you know, it's funny. I, I, I listened to your podcast with Scott uh, Parker and it, it, it was like humbling because there was a moment in the podcast where he's like, 50 years ago, we're sitting in a bar together talking about, well, they'll never ban smoking. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you almost gave me an aha moment when I, when I listened to that podcast. And then he's like, I think the, the, the alcohol consumption is evolving. And wouldn't it be funny 50 years from now, there's not bars, you know, yeah. or there's not. So that listening to your podcast, I had a moment where I was like, oh, boy. You know, so it's that it's that planning and pivoting and and then uh, turning settled on easy into an ultra superfood smoothie company. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's an interesting. I, you look at your establishments; they're they're a little different. But I I, I hear you, and I, I understand where you're you're going with it. It's like what sounds like your bit is that you're kind of always thinking about thinking ahead, and yeah. it's less maybe about the the beer and the brewery as it is the the space that you're holding for people and like where you're able to continue to share something that's so important to you, which is family, this concept of family and being able to share that with others and giving them a space to like feel that communion or feel that connection or provide just like this nice, I don't know, warm tingly feeling that exists when you go into a space like that where everyone is supporting each other. And, and that's the thing about small local businesses that I love so much and the reason why I stayed doing it for so long when I was in Arizona. And if you're familiar, I used to work for Zips uh, Sports Bar. I don't know if uh, you're familiar with Zips. There was one in Scottsdale I'd frequent after I was at the Hyagheny Ranch. Yeah. And there was a Zips like a mile and a half from there. We'd go have drink. I, when were yeah. you there? <laughs> I was there from 20, oh God, 2004 to 2011. Oh my gosh. I guarantee you served me a beer. 
we've overlapped for sure. I yeah. have no doubt uh, <laughs> that you served me a But uh, I mean, it's just a beautiful thing to be able to like create spaces like that for people. Oh, yeah. so. so I guess I always ask the question about challenges and I, is it the pandemic? Was that, has that been your biggest challenge so far that you've overcome or has there been something else that's been a little bit more quiet that people may not already know about? No, I, I think, you know, for me personally, um, losing my brother was probably one of those moments in life where it was almost in that moment, you know, two days shy of his 36th birthday. And I just, I was like, what li- what matters? Like what, what matters in life? I, I got my, my, I have two kids, Toby McKenzie, Toby's 18. He's going to Virginia tech. Amazing. And, yeah. And I have Congrats. a daughter, Mackenzie, who's 16. They both have these amazing personalities and gifts that they can do, but on two different spe- ends of the spectrum. And I remember at the Grand Hyatt, you know, come full circle on the conversation and, you know, 70 hours getting it there at 6am, leaving at 10 o'clock at night and grinding. I mean, grinding. Um, and, you know, when, when that, when that chapter closes, I guess, you know, people always told me like, take care of your family first. Cause no one's going to remember that you were here till 11 o'clock on a Thursday night in September. True. And, you know, that I looked at the pandemic where, yeah, was it scary? Was it unknowing the unknown, the fear of the unknown was very scary. I, I will text you a picture of Misty and Toby that I got to work with my family in the brewery during the pandemic that's cute. And I have experiences with my children in their teens that I am so blessed and fortunate to have because I know other people didn't have the opportunity to spend the time with their family the way I was able to spend it with yeah. mine. So, you know, you talk about overcoming. Um, I don't know if it was, I, I guess in the moment you're overcoming, but then as you sit back and reflect back, you're like, oh my God, look at that precious time I had. And I would have never had that had I stayed in corporate America. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So today you have two breweries. Yeah. Um, I was this during the pandemic or post pandemic. So we had settled down easy falls church. Okay. Opened in 18. And then when I, in, in 2020, when I was furloughed September after April through September, just putting my heart and soul into the brewery yeah. being there seven days a week, it never felt like work. It just never felt like I was working. And I remember I got the call that was like, hey, we're reorganizing, reorganizing Marriott. We want you to consider this opportunity. And I, I told my vice president, I was like, can I call you tomorrow morning? And this was on a Friday. And she said, call me after eight on Saturday. I go home and I was at the brewery when I took this call. And I go home, I tell Misty, I go, I got an opportunity, I think, go back to Marriott. I want to go all in at the brewery. And she's like, we're, you know, while the brewery had made us okay financially. It was not to where we were with Marriott and her teaching. And and she looks at me and she sees the happiness and she's like, you're the happiest I've ever seen you in all your life. Like, you know, working in in the brewery. So she goes, how about this? Do it for six months. If you can show me that we can, we can live, save and take care of our family. Like it felt like when you were with Marriott, let's do it for six months and you show me. Well, six months turned into a year and then it was, how do we grow this brand? And we live in Oakton, Virginia. And because of the pandemic, some of our favorite mom and pops places have went out under business. I went out of business and she's like, settle down easy, settle down easy needs to be in Oakton. We need its energy and its presence here for all the families, the 37,000 residents. And in November of last year, we opened the Oakton tasting room. Um, 
in part with Settle Down Easy Brewing. But we've invited an amazing entrepreneur, an amazing, amazing chef named Josh Plant, and he runs a company called The Fermented Pig. Mm -hmm. And we, as we were opening the second location, we partnered with El Tio's in Falls Church, and they make this great, authentic Tex-Mex street taco, and it fits the industrial cement and stainless steel vibe of the brewery. Oakton was more refined, and Oakton had a, a level of sophistication, but it was still comfortable, casual, and approachable. And we were like, who do we partner with on catering? Because we don't want to be restaurateurs. We, we yeah. want to focus on in our lane, which is making the best craft beer we can. And we just kept coming back to Josh and saying, you know, he does amazing catering, does a great barbecue. So we asked him to join us and he took him like a day. He's like, let me think about it. And then calls the next day. He goes, heck yeah, I'm all in. Let's do this. And there's been bumps in the road opening Oakton, uh, but it's your second location, your, your bandwidth, your pull, pull short, your, your amp, your amplifying associates, your hiring, you're growing. Um, and so we're, I wish, I, I wish Oakton had the same hockey stick of false church, but it's a very gradual. And even this past weekend, 40% of the customers were new and they That's were like, amazing. like, I'm like, where do you live down the, the, the road? I'm like, we've had a sign in this building for eight months You've never Googled brewery near me, new restaurant, uh, bar, wine, something. And uh, they're like, no. And uh, we were just finding it. It's rewarding, but you have to, I personally have to be there. And now I have to tell the story that we did in False Church all over again. And teaching people about the concept, the ideas, the story behind the story, the meaning behind the the item that we're presenting, the story behind the beer. So I thought it would just be organically a little faster. It's still going great. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But uh, that, I'm, I'm now, I, I actually just did the schedule for August. I think I'm behind the bar in Oakton like four nights a week. Oh, I love that. Be there two nights a week when I'm not on the schedule just to be there, you know? That's amazing. Well, I mean, and I think the story has evolved, right? Now yeah. the story is not just your brother and like the the purpose that you found and, and promise that you made, but it's also what you've been able to do for the community in Falls Church during the pandemic and how the business has evolved and grown and you defeated the odds like that so many other businesses, as you, you know, very pointedly point out, didn't, didn't make it, you know, and you guys have been in put in position where you have expansion and that's really, really exceptional. So, but this doesn't come easy. Like none of this comes without having a driving force. So I'm curious, what's the one word that you think of when, you think about what drives you? <sighs> I know we talked previously about, you know, having this word and like before this interview, I was like thinking in one direction and you made me cry, which I've never done. <laughs> and I'm like, I cannot believe I'm going to call you after this. We're going to have some good laughs. Um, but um, I guess I want to use the word humble um, because I have been very blessed to have the success not only from a business standpoint, but in the world we live in and the lives we touch, the divorce rate is so high. Mm-hmm. And I still have the same person to call my wife that I get to see every every day. And um, I, I'm very humbled by her consistency to push and drive me. I'm humbled by the continuous support of our customers that come out unselfishly. Um, I'm, I'm humbled by the worth work, eth- work ethic of my children um, that I watch 
and I applaud. And um, I am very humbled to be in an area with such diversity that is Washington, D.C., and we're in the nation's capital. And um, I, I just feel like we are so blessed that if you put your mind to something and, and you grind, I mean, you, when, when I was opening the brewery, I remember getting up at 4.30 in the morning, writing those business plans, working like a dog until 6.30, going to work out, going to shower, go to the office, come home 6.30 at night, hug and kiss the kids and talk to Misty for a minute and go right back to writing the vision of Settle Down Easy. Uh, going to bed at 11 o'clock at night and just, just grinding. Um, but I, a little bit of a ramble there, sorry, but uh, no, you're good. the word is, is very humbling. It's I'm very humbled um, yeah. in this whole process. I think that's great. Humility is one of my favorite things yeah. as most people know. Uh, I just don't think that you can be the best version of yourself without it. And so I think that that's amazing. And it's very clear that you are so not just humble, but you're very grateful for, um, you know, the opportunities that have been presented to you. You're very grateful for the support that you've had, which is amazing. Um, if you think about one piece of advice that you would give anybody, it doesn't have to be somebody that's opening up a brewery, um, or stepping into the food and beverage space, but anybody that might be kind of sitting with their thoughts, what is one piece of advice that you would give them? I'm going to give you two. Um, okay. And I thought about this as, as the interview had gone on. If, if I were to go back to a younger Frank mm. back in you know 2022, um, I would tell them to be part of the solution every day. Um, we live in a society where the news is very negative. Um, mm -hmm. and it's rare we see positive in our, in our societies, um, which is sad. And I partly think why people come to breweries so much is because there is a uplifting feeling. You know, when you go to that high end dinner, steakhouse dinner with grandma for her birthday or someone's anniversary, it has to be flawless. It has to be yeah. perfect. A brewery is this, I haven't seen three high school buddies and they happen to be in DC for a, a, a celebration or a, a conference. Like, Hey, come to the bar I opened and, or just friends coming together and celebration of life and togetherness. But I would tell a younger person to be part of the solution every day. Look, look for the process improvement. Look for the, the, find the good. You have to celebrate the little wins. It's not that you booked a thousand dollar or a hundred thousand dollar wedding at your venue. It's the fact you made six sales calls today that took time, energy, and effort. So celebrate, um, celebrate the small wins. And the, and the, the other thing that I would tell people a little piece of advice, if you're going into, being an entrepreneur, hospitality, you know, regardless of your vertical that you have your passion towards, is there was an adage that was the customer is always right. Yeah. I don't believe that. <laughs> Neither do I. I believe the customer is always first. And I say that because in, in our brewery, we, if I, if I may, I, I want to just, I know this was like this one thing, but I wanted to share this with your listeners that I teach my students at George Mason and it's in our intro to beverage class but it's something called the five human truths. And it's what we as people, what we need to find our higher potential. Um, and, and that is, I, you know, when, I, when I'm writing an email, I have these beside me and I, I look, am I infusing the five human truths in my writing? Am I infusing the five human truths in my speech when I'm talking orally to somebody? And that is we as humans want to have a sense of belonging whether that's a fraternity, whether that's a kickboxing studio that you go and you immediately know your coaches and your, your co-athletes, you have a sense of belonging there. 
we want to have a sense of control. We want to be able to control what's happening. And sometimes we lose control. And it's all about allowing that person the opportunity of control. If I want my beer in this glass, we're going to serve it to you in that glass, even though it's not meant for that glass. Or I wouldn't recommend drinking the spicy jalapeno beer first because it's going to give your palate a, a burning sensation. But if you want to do it, have your sense of control and do it. To, to have a sense of understanding, that's the third human truth, that people want to be understood. So when they're talking to you, and I like IPAs, I like citrus IPAs, let me walk you through some of the, the few beers I think will evoke the flavor profile that you're looking for. I want them to know I'm understanding them, and I'm hearing them, and I'm listening, a very thoughtful process of listening. Um, people want to feel special when you can, you can pick up in conversation about someone's birthday or, you know, someone had had loss and, you know, you go up to them and, and you, you put your hand on their shoulder and say, hey, I just heard you guys are talking about you lost somebody. And I, I want you to know I'm here for you. And this is a place you can always come to and find positive energy or, you know, tomorrow's somebody's birthday and they didn't have time to go shopping. And I go in the back and get a four pack and I'd be like, here, take this to Christopher. You know, this is just from us to you. And he's like, are you serious? Like, yeah, um, that, that's, that's a very special thing. And then finally to reach your potential. And this is something I learned as a very young person in, in, in Starwood that we all don't aspire to have the same potential. Some people around us want to be the best mother that they can be. And it doesn't, that's the only thing in life that they, they care about. Other people are that driven. I'm going to be the youngest CEO. Mm -hmm. And whether you're talking to people and you can understand what their potential is in the moment and helping them reach their personal potential will allow you to build these really strong relationships with people. And those are some of the things when, you know, what, what would you tell a younger person? It's speak and write with the five human truths, be part of the solution every day and know that the customer isn't always right. You make them feel they're always first. I love that so much. Thank you so much for walking us through that. And there's so much to be taken away from that, regardless of whether or not you're opening up a brewery or you're, you know, a business owner, just as human beings. But there's like so much to take away from that, you know, bit there. So I really, really appreciate you I'm doing that. I'm glad I got that. to share that. It's important to yeah. me. Yeah, I love it. Frank, I have really enjoyed this conversation. If people want to follow along on all things um, with the brewery and just understand how they can like stop by, pop in, anything related, yeah. what is the best way for them to do that? Certainly you can always, you know, Google, uh, we're on social media, um, Facebook and Instagram, um, calendar, calendar of events are always active. Um, I'm doing a tremendous amount of work in Oakton in the local community. Um, Oakton day is, um, forgive me, not having that off the top of my head. It's um, okay. but, um, it's coming up. Yeah. The 27th is Oakton day. And then September 18th, 17th, um, is a, um, uh, Heroes Run, uh, nice. celebrating those we've lost at 9-11. Um, and we're going to be the start location, Oakton Elementary School. We'll be the concluding brewery in Oakton. We're going to celebrate everyone's success of the run and, and hand out some awards. Um, but yeah, certainly, you know, Google, Instagram, you can find us. I run our social media. Uh, I'm the guy behind it. Uh, I'm always looking for fun and unique stories to tell. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a good way to find us. Awesome. Well, I really, really appreciate it. And I'll be sure to include all the social tags and everything in the, in the information about the episode. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your passion. I appreciate your cause. I love how 
purposeful this is for you. Um, and I look forward to seeing hopefully more expansion from you guys. And that's the plan. Uh, whatever else is to come. Yeah. We hope to, we hope to expand another uh, a, a manufacturing plant at some point. So it's it's down the road and planning. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation. It was so great. And I appreciate your openness and vulnerability and sharing you as a person. So much so is your story. Thanks. Hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. All right. That's the show. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, give us a follow on Instagram, driven by underscore blank, share it with your friends, pass along the good word. And for the love of God, continue to acknowledge your passions. Let love be your guide and always walk in purpose. Until next time, I'm Karen, and this has been a conversation about the intersection between passion and purpose.